You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, good morning to you and welcome to Hope Church Online. It's great to have you with us today. If you're new, maybe joining online for the first time, really warm welcome to you. If you'd like to know more about us as a church, if you'd like us to get in touch with you, you might like to fill in a connect card on our website so that we can just answer any questions that you might have about the church and help just welcome you a little more. If you're a regular with us at Hope Church, great to have you uh, joining us today. Um, It's been a strange few weeks, hasn't it? It's been very tough in many ways, and uh, we really uh, don't know what the future holds. This could be some time uh, that we're in this situation, but the, the great comfort we have is that whilst we don't know what the future holds, we do know who holds the future. We do know that he's good and that he's committed to us, and so we can take heart in that. And let's keep pressing on. Let's continue to meet together online as much as we can. It's been great to connect with you in life groups and uh, in the worship times we've had online and the prayer times. Let's keep doing that together. Let's keep looking to God together in these difficult times. Today we're going to continue our series in the book of Luke, which is one of the accounts that we have in the New Testament of Jesus' life, his teaching, his death and his resurrection. And we've seen so far that Jesus has begun to perform miracles. He's about 30 years old and he's begun to perform miracles. News about him is starting to spread and he's just started to form his team. He's called some fishermen, uh, a guy called Simon, who he changes his name to Peter and Simon's brother, Andrew, and their business partners, James and John. They've all started to follow Jesus after Jesus has, uh, has called them, has produced a miraculous catch of fish, and they are now following him. He's called a man called Matthew, who is a tax collector, who's left everything to follow him. And today we're picking up in chapter 6, Jesus uh, calling 12 of these followers that have started to follow him to be his apostles. Now we're going to read the Bible. We're going to uh, pull out some things as we go along that I trust will strengthen and equip uh, those of us who perhaps have faith in Jesus. But I also hope that this will give some food for thought for those who maybe are stopping by today out of curiosity. Maybe you're facing questions that you've never faced before. Maybe you're asking questions about eternity and meaning and suffering and grief. Maybe you're tuning in today with big questions about these things. Maybe you're just bored and you're finding yourself with more time on your hands. Well, whatever your reason, I'm glad that you're here and I'm hopeful that I can serve you well today. Now we're going to read from Luke chapter 6 verses 12 through to 16. In these days he went out on the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. We're going to read on some more shortly. 
So here's Jesus picking his team. He's whittling down the crowd to a core group. Maybe that sentence alone evokes memories for you of standing in your PE kit, uh, freezing cold in the school playing field, desperately trying not to be the last one picked for the team, trying to catch the eye of the team captain that you might enhance your chances of being picked. Well, here's Jesus selecting his team. And this process teaches us a lot about Jesus and a lot about his people. Firstly, once again, it highlights to us the primacy of prayer in Jesus' life, the primary place that it had in his life. When Jesus faces big decisions, when he's under pressure, he comes to his father in prayer. And let us remember that the team that he is going to pick are going to be with him for three years. And then after he has gone, after he has has died and risen to life and ascended to uh, heaven to be once again with his father, these are the guys that are going to take the message to the ends of the earth as they knew it. That's a big deal. He needs to ensure that he gets this right. And, and so what does he do? He spends the whole night in prayer. And I can imagine, I can picture him talking to his father, saying, Father, what about Simon Peter? He seems to be quite reckless. Is he the guy that we really want to have leading this team? What about James? Is, is, he, is he really the right guy? Is, is John old enough? What about Judas? Is this the right call? What we, is this, I can just picture him all night just speaking to his father in this way. Prayer was so key for him. And and God wants prayer for us to be a primary thing. He wants us to come to him in prayer when we have big decisions to make, even when we have medium-sized decisions to make, to have this life of dependency on him. It seems quite a backwards thing that we might grow in dependency because we as, uh, as parents, perhaps you're a parent, you want your children to grow to become independent. My wife Sarah and I, we want our children to grow to the point where they don't need to depend on us any longer. And yet in the kingdom, it's a case that God wants us to grow to become more dependent on him, not less dependent on him. Amongst Jesus' people, we're to bring everything to him in prayer. And Jesus models the kind of prayers that he wants us to pray, talking to his father, asking him. Let me urge you, friends, to come to the father and ask to come to him and ask for what you need. Jesus modeled this. His disciples then modeled this. They gave themselves to prayer. Let us be like that also. The second thing I note here is that Jesus' team is a strange team. I'm in some strange teams at Hope Church. I'm in a strange eldership team. I'm in a strange staff team where we're all very different and we have a lot of fun. We, 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 we kind of have lots of jokes for the first five or ten minutes of a meeting before we get down to any kind of serious business. Weird teams are the best kind of teams because, number one, they're fun, and number two, they complement one another. There's strength when you have people from different backgrounds and, and people with different gifts in the mix. And so on Jesus' team, there's, there's John, who's barely out of his teens, and then the other guys who are slightly older. Some of the guys are married and have kids. Some of them are, are country boys. Some of them are city boys. There's fishermen and tax collectors. There's this guy called Simon the Zealot, who's basically an anarchist, who's fresh from some rally, like think Extinction Rebellion, think blocking roads to annoy the Romans. He is a zealot. And yet none of them in the group are priests or rulers amongst the people. And when Jesus dies and rises from the grave and ascends to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit upon his uh, disciples, upon these 12 apostles, and they preach radically. 
and they see many people come to follow Jesus and trust in him. And there's this moment where the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they, they call together the disciples and they say, you need to stop this right now. You need to stop preaching about Jesus. And then Peter stands up and he gives this amazing preach. And they remark amongst themselves, these are unschooled, ordinary men. They're shocked that these unschooled country boys might be able to preach so powerfully. This teaches us something. These men didn't look slick. They didn't have a great education. It teaches us that the kingdom of Jesus isn't dependent on this world. It's not built on might or power of men, but by the Spirit of God. And these same men, they get accused of turning the world upside down. Literally, riots start in cities because of their preaching of, about Jesus as people leave behind idols that whole industries were built on. A religion which turned the world upside down with such men as the first preachers must have come from heaven. I want to put it to you that this is very compelling evidence for the truthfulness of this message of Jesus. Despite the fact that the message was being given by unschooled men from the countryside, despite the fact that their message, as we're going to see in a moment, was not popular, despite the fact that the message was not only not popular, but deeply offensive to believing Jews, this message spread like wildfire in the known world. It's historically documented. Listen to this. It's historically documented that in the first century, thousands of people became Christians describing themselves as followers of Jesus in a place where it was an offense to believe that God would have a son and that he would die in apparent shame on a cross. We cannot even fathom how the culture and identity of Israel was tied to its religion. So to say that in that culture, it's not only going to be dismissed as false, it's going to be deeply offensive. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be today in our society. What is so tied up with our values and our culture and identity as a society. Maybe an attack on the NHS in this time of crisis. That would be offensive and really ugly. Now listen, the message of Jesus was not some get-rich-quick scheme. It was not some message that promised people dozens of virgins in eternity. This was a message of a humiliated man dying in agony, naked on a cross that was created by their despicable Roman oppressors. And the fact, the historical fact that this message spread in the first century as it did, I believe is evidence. There's only one thing that can account for this, that the message of Jesus' death and his Resurrection is true, God's truth, and that the people who came to put their faith in him had their lives changed as they encountered the power of God for themselves. So this was a team that was prayerfully chosen. It was a, a weird, weird team, and it would be a team that would foreshadow something of what the church would be like. The church would be a ragtag bunch, a weird bunch of not very impressive people drawn into Jesus-centered communities. Communities like Hope Church, where we have the very, very young to the 90-somethings, where we have people from five different continents, where we have people who have barely 50 pounds in the bank to people of great means, some with more than one university degree, some who cannot read, some who grew up in the faith, and some who live chaotic lives before they came to see Jesus for who he is. 
It's not meant to be uniform. Church is not meant to have one certain demographic, one age group. That's something that would be bordering a cult if that were the case. The church is meant to be diverse. It's meant to be a ragtag bunch. And I, I can imagine Jesus' disciples laughing over the campfire at how different they were. Simon Peter, the fisherman, who wasn't very successful in his business, looking over at the tax collector, Matthew, and laughing at how they'd suddenly become good mates and marveling at the one who had brought them together. The makeup of Jesus' disciples would give us a taste of this strange new people of God. Listen, it's not an accident that Jesus chose 12. To a Jewish listener, this was very significant indeed. It would make them think back into the Old Testament of a man called Jacob who had 12 sons. And you may have heard of the story of Joseph. Joseph was one of those sons. He had this amazing coat. And Joseph had these 12 sons who would become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what we're seeing here is that Jesus is, is happy to present himself as the new and greater Jacob, whose spiritual sons would form a new people of God, a strange new people made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles, that is people who are not from a Jewish background, people who've trusted in Jesus. And millennia before this, God had promised a great global family to Abraham, a man who was very old, a man with a very old wife. They had no kids. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. Through these descendants, the whole world was going to be blessed. And now we see Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, a Jew, a perfect Jew, inaugurating something new, building something new, inaugurating his kingdom on earth. He was the descendant of Abraham who would make the family go global. And he'd appoint these 12 spiritual sons who would one day take the message far and wide and upon whose teaching the global church would stand. A strange new people, a people who would be defined not by ethnicity, not by nationality, not by political preference, not by socioeconomic backgrounds, not by education, not by shared cultural preferences, but by one thing, Jesus Christ, the center of it all. And this people would look completely different to the world. There'd be a strange people, a people defined by values that are countercultural, a people who are meant to be distinct from the world around them. Let's read on to see what Jesus taught his people. And Jesus came down with them and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted his eyes upon his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day 
and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What do we have here? What's going on in these sayings? These sayings are often referred to as the Beatitudes. That comes from the Latin word for blessing, because each sentence we've seen here begins with this word, blessed are you. There's been loads of confusion over the years about what we're dealing with here. Firstly, there's confusion about whether or not this is the same sermon, the same message that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6. It may or may not be that so-called Sermon on the Mount. And then there's confusion about what we're covering here. Some say that what we read as this sermon continues is an impossible set of ideals that Jesus is laying out to show the people that they cannot live up to God's standards and to show them that they need a saviour, that they might throw themselves onto the grace of Jesus. Now, I do understand that. There's some inkling of truth in that, that we cannot live up to all of these things, and we do need to have a saviour, the one who fulfilled it for us. Some say that Jesus is, is describing the reality of heaven. He's describing what heaven will be like. Others have even distorted these verses, I would say, to say that if you want to be a Christian, you have to be poor, hungry, sad, and hated by everyone. And others take these in conjunction with the rest of the Bible and see that this describes something of the mindset of the disciples of Jesus. I I agree with that. I believe we need to let the rest of the Bible read this passage for us and to read into it what we've just read right here. And when we do that, we'll see that it's not a case of do these things and then you'll be loved by God. Instead, it's a case that God has loved you with an immense love, an immense love that led him to give up his one and only son for you. And that as you place your trust in that son who who died in your place, God transfers you from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son that he loves. And, And now day by day, he's changing you. Day by day, he's renewing your mind. He's making you see the world in a different way. And that change leads to us becoming radically different people. Not a perfect people, but a radically different people, a strange new people. And so in what we've just read, I believe that what we're seeing here is something that is to be the mindset of the people of God when it comes to three massive things, money, power, and fame. Jesus is saying some stuff on these things that is going to be massively counter-cultural. And you, you need to look at the people who oppose his teaching. The Pharisees, they hated Jesus. They opposed him at every turn because they were obsessed with those three things. But now we've got this new king, of a new kingdom coming down from the mountain. We're to be thinking of Moses here. Moses who came down from the mountain with stone tablets in his hands. Here is the new Moses, the greater Moses, coming to write these things on the hearts of his people instead of on tablets of stone. This king is coming to change our mind on some big things that have gripped humanity ever since the beginning. And first up is money. And as I've said, Jesus is not teaching that those who are poor are more righteous than those who are rich because there are some very unrighteous ways to be poor, i.e. laziness. 
We must not for a moment suppose that the status of being poor and hungry and sad and hated by men will entitle anyone to say that they are saved by Jesus. But we need to understand that the people he's talking to are poor. They are very poor. And when we read as we will later in this gospel account of Luke about Jesus feeding thousands of people, 5,000, perhaps it was as many as 15,000 when you include women and children. When you see him feeding multitudes, you might have this romantic notion that these people just heard that Jesus was coming to an area and they just left their houses without making lunch for themselves and then they got in a pickle later on because they didn't have enough food. I want to put it to you that these people were poor. They didn't actually have the food to make themselves lunch. They were living hand to mouth every single day. And some of Jesus' disciples are poor and are hungry in this life and will be poor all their life. And this is not a sign that the blessing of God is not on them. This is not a sign that they are not in the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching some things here. He's saying to them, don't make having money your goal or your idol. The kingdom is not for those who have money as their God. Or money as their goal and prize. There is a greater goal. There's a greater prize awaiting you. Something that's greater than money. He's saying you will be wealthy in the kingdom of God. There's an eternal destiny, an eternal world where you will know riches, where you will be lavishly provided for. But he says, woe to you, you who are rich, because you will become poor. If your identity is in money, listen, if you're watching this and your identity is in money, and it's all about getting more of it and accumulating more stuff, Jesus says, woe to you, because you're worshipping it. In fact, you're worshipping yourself. If you've made accumulation of wealth, the center of your identity and your existence. Jesus says, woe to you, because on the other side of this life, you won't be able to take it with you. And when you meet your maker, you will wish that you made Jesus the center of your life and not money. And Jesus will teach again and again on money because Jesus' take on money is, is one of the most prominent countercultural kingdom values. For, for a believer in Jesus, having Jesus is having everything Jesus' strange new people know that knowing him is, is worth giving it all up for. In fact, he says, if you get your money lined up, you'll get almost everything else lined up. Because Jesus says your heart follows your treasure. If you surrender your money to God, your life will go with it. Second up, he tackles power. And he says, blessed you will be, those of you who are mocked and oppressed and suffer, those who are made fun of, those who are mistreated, maligned and abused on account of me. Some of you know what this means. Some of us don't know the half of it. Christians in other parts of the world know exactly what this, this means because they are beaten up, they're imprisoned, they're assaulted and maligned because of Jesus. We might know it in, in very small ways. Maybe family or, or co-workers might mock us because of our faith. We might not get a promotion because we hold to certain values in the workplace. We might get scorned because of our views about things like sex being for marriage. There's very small things comparative to what our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing. But there are ways in which we may be made to feel powerless. And these people that Jesus is speaking to, they are very much 
powerless. They feel that they have no say in the world. They're oppressed by foreign invaders. These Romans who don't care for them, they don't visit them to make sure they're doing okay. They just have their taxes taken from them and they have to try and get by as best they can. They're without prestige and prominence. And this king has come to say to them, God loves you. He cares for you. He has all the power really. And those people that oppress you are really in his hands. And one day they will meet their maker. And not only can we take comfort in that, but Jesus says, you can actually rejoice in this. You can leap for joy now because of the day that is to come. You can leap for joy. The day that you will meet Jesus is soon. The day that we can begin eternity with him is soon. And it will be a day of great joy and a day that, will, that can actually even make us joyful now. We can rejoice in it now. We can leap for joy when we're mocked and scorned and we can remember the day is coming. So Jesus is strange new people. They, they see that they need not scramble for power. We don't need to scramble for position. There's a righteous judge who has a glorious future for us in eternity. And finally, Jesus tackles fame. He says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. What is more common in the world than the love of everyone's praise? Is there anything that we Seek after more than that. Jesus is showing his strange new people that seeking after fame is idolatry. It's living for your name, your reputation. And it's, it's so common. It's why Instagram and YouTube are full of people who long to be influencers. Who want to have all people speak well of them. Who want to appear in magazines and in reality TV shows. They've seen something of the rich and famous and they say, oh, I want to have that too. I want to emulate that. I want to share in that fame. That will satisfy me. And yet the tragedy is that the very people to whom Jesus says, woe to you, are the very people that the world admires and tries to imitate. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. The fear of man is a trap. If you live for the approval of others, that they would speak well of you and bless you and approve of you. This could be parents, this could be friends, it could be co-workers, it could be an unknown multitude on social media. If those people are wanting you to please them and satisfy them and honor them and to live for them so that they would praise you and accept you and speak well of you, then Proverbs says that is a trap. That is a trap. If you're living for that, you're falling into a massive trap. Listen, if they're godly people who are encouraging you towards Jesus, that could be a good thing. That's different. But watch out for the trap. Watch out for the snare of fame and praise. We don't go out of our way to be uh, hated or spoken ill of. We want to treat everyone we can with love. But to be universally popular is not a good thing and something that we should actually be wary of. We should be afraid of being universally popular. Jesus' strange new people, they live before an audience of one. Are you living before an audience of one? It doesn't matter what everyone else says. If the Father is pleased with you, if he loves you, then you can be secure. And your identity can be rooted in his affection, not in your performance, not in the likes or retweets of others. Jesus' strange new people, they don't, they don't pine after that which the world pines after because they're secure in him. 
They're secure in his love for them. Jesus' strange new people are secure in the judgment of God, trusting him for provision and rejoicing in the eternity to come. Where do we go from here as we come into land? Well, you might be tuning in today and you might be thinking, this is all very new for me. This is quite full on, actually. I want to appeal to you today to question whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the world's voice? Are you going to listen to the opinion of others? Are you going to listen to the voices that say, get rich, get powerful, get fame, get people to adore you, get a great sex life? Are you going to listen to those voices that tell you that those are the things you need in order to be happy? Or are you going to listen to the one who speaks with all authority, Jesus Christ? Are you going to listen to him? Today, you you could make him your king. You could do it right now. You could do it as I pray in just a moment. You could do it after this video is finished. You could surrender your life to him. You could cross the line of faith. You could trust in him for the first time. You could receive from him forgiveness, mercy, adoption into the family of God. You could receive these things from him today. And it's, it's just by faith. It's not by trying hard. Faith is the open hand that just takes a free gift. And you could do that today. I'm going to pray. I want to pray for all those who are listening. And as I finish my prayer, I want to give you an opportunity right now to make Jesus your king. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's so helpful to us as we consider our priorities in life. We thank you that you have loved us. Father, you've loved us and you've sent your son for us. That he died on that cross in our place. That he rose again victorious. That he is coming back again. And he has begun this kingdom that will one day be completely, completely established, that one day we'll be with you for eternity. And we praise you, we rejoice in that. We want to be those that, that have these things in their rightful place. We want to be those that, uh, that put you first, that we make the, the king the center of our lives. We want to be those that, uh, that see that money and power and fame, they, they bow down to you. We want to be those that live our lives with Jesus at the center. We want to be a strange people that look very different to the world. And Father, I want to ask you that right now for anyone who may be listening and watching who doesn't yet know you, that you would just come and draw near to them right now. That they would know your presence with them in their lounge or their bedroom, wherever they're watching this video. That you, Lord God, would reveal yourself to them and change their life. Why don't you just, as we have our eyes closed, why don't you just say to to Jesus, I want to make you king of my life. And I want to receive from you forgiveness and a new life, a new start. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I trust this has served you well. We're going to be back again next week as we continue looking at this amazing sermon that Jesus gave. Please do join us again at 10 a.m. next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please
do not edit the content in any way.